the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time to sit back, relax, and listen to Conversations with Joan. Conversations with Joan will inspire, motivate, and empower you. Live your best life now. Listen, learn, think, and decide. And now, here's your host, Joan Herman. Welcome to Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. Conversations with Joan focuses on topics that are important to your life, from health and wellness to professional development to personal well-being. Changemakers join me to share their insights, tips, and strategies so you can thrive and live your best life now. Thank you for taking time for yourself, and thank you for letting us be a part of your life. Now, let's start talking. Joining me today is Dr. Joe Dispenza, who's here to discuss the practical applications of the placebo effect so we can learn to use our expectation of a particular outcome to alter our internal state and external reality. Dr. Dispenza is the author of You Are the Placebo, Making Your Mind Matter. He lectures about the functions of the human brain and teaches people how to reprogram their thinking. Welcome, Dr. Dispenza. Thanks for joining us today. Oh, thank you, Joan. I'm happy to be with you. Dr. Dispenza, most of us have at one time or another heard of the placebo effect, and it's usually in relationship to a drug study. What does the placebo effect actually mean? Well, if you give someone a sugar pill, a saline injection, or perform some type of fake procedure, a certain percentage of those people will accept, believe, and surrender that they're actually getting the real treatment without any analysis. And those people will begin to make their own pharmacy of chemicals that match the exact chemical or treatment that they think they're taking, and their body will heal by thought alone. So my thought was, once you understand the science of how the placebo works, if you can begin to demystify it and you can see what's happening in the brain, you can understand the new science of neuroplasticity and epigenetics, is it possible then that to take away that external substance and teach people to heal by the same principles, by thought alone, and begin to make their own internal changes instead of relying on something outside of them? So, Dr. Joe, what is it that's actually happening in the brain? I heard someone tell me a story that cancer patients who were given saline, believing that they were being given chemotherapy, actually started to exhibit chemo side effects. They lost their hair. They were nauseous. They literally made themselves sick without having one drop of chemo. And I think this is fascinating. So what is actually occurring within the brain? Well, there's, there's also what's called the nocebo, which is when you give someone an inert substance, Joan, like, say, chemotherapy, if you begin to accept the particular suggestion, the thought, that you'll get side effects from that, that uh, placebo. And what's your, happening in your brain is you begin to select an image in your mind, an image of your, in your mind based on a past experience. And if you can accept that thought, the frontal lobe creates a picture. And if you accept that thought and you begin to emotionally embrace or think about how it's going to feel, your limbic brain begins to make a a particular blend of neuropeptides that begin to signal the body for it to begin to feel exactly the way it was just thinking. So when you combine a clear intention, a thought, with an emotion, you create what we call a state of being. Thoughts are the language of the brain, and feelings are the language of the body. And how we think and how we feel creates a state of being. So in those cases, your body is your unconscious mind. It does not know the difference between an actual experience in your life that creates an emotion and an emotion that you fabricate by thought alone. 
So your body in that moment is believing that it's in that future experience in the present moment. And it is that particular blend of thought and feeling that begins to program the autonomic nervous system to begin to respond to a thought. So there have been so many countless cases of uh, anticipatory nausea from, say, for example, chemotherapy. 40 to 50% of patients that, that are on their way to their first chemotherapy treatment that are told that they're going to get nauseous after their treatment get nauseous on their drive to their first chemotherapy treatment in anticipation of the outcome. So they're selecting that thought, they're emotionally embracing it, and it's their autonomic nervous system that begins to make them nauseous. So my question is, if 40 to 50% of those people can get nauseous in the expectation of some worse thing that could happen to them, can 50% of people get healthy on their drive to work in expectation of something good happening to them? So, Dr. Joe, if this is something that's occurring and we're not even aware of, of our beliefs that we're doing this to ourselves, how do we turn it around and accomplish what you're saying to turn it into a positive? Well, um, that's a great question, and that's really what the book is about. Um, I think that there's a deep programming process that has to take place, Joan. And by the same means, that means that we have to examine our very beliefs that we have about the nature of reality. And a belief is just a thought you keep thinking over and over again until you hardwire it in your brain. And since beliefs are based on past experiences and experiences stamp neurological networks into place, and the end product of experiences is called emotions, so then the very boundaries of our beliefs have to do with how we feel. So if how you think and how you feel creates a state of being, and you keep thinking and feeling in the same way. Redundancy of that cycle conditions the body to become the mind of that particular state. Once the body is the mind, it's a habit, it's a subconscious program. So beliefs are extended states of being, and if you keep thinking and feeling that way, they become unconscious or subconscious states of being. Most people don't even know that they believe certain things. They just accept them because it's part of their very visceral physiology. So in order to change a belief or perception about yourself and your life, you have to make a decision with such firm intention that the amplitude of that decision carries a level of energy that's greater than the hardwired programs in your brain and the emotional addictions in your body. And your body literally has to respond to a new mind. In other words, the choice that you make becomes an experience that you never forget. As an example, uh, the person who moves into a state of religious ecstasy in the Deep South in the United States and drinks strychnine and has no biological effects. Or the mother whose child who's caught under the, the car and the mother lifts the car and pulls the child out. The mother doesn't say, geez, I ate carbohydrates yesterday and I haven't worked out in two weeks. The, 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 the preacher doesn't say, geez, I wonder if I'm going to be poisoned today. I don't know if I'm going to live or I'm going to die. Their decision is final. And the energy of that decision, energy is the epiphenomenon of matter. So when we begin to change our energy, the body begins to respond, and that's the moment we begin to rewrite the program. That's the moment the bodies and brain are no longer living in the past, in the present. It's the moment the body is living in the future, in the present. And it's that kind of intensity, it's that kind of passion, it's that kind of willfulness that begins to change the very nature of our beliefs. Joe, for the person, and, and I, I'm sure you know this type of person as well as I do, who is innately a negative type of person, who really in, it subconsciously believes that the worst will happen, and then that person decides, they, they listen to what you're saying and, and what we do on this show, and they decide that they want to make changes. So they start to tell themselves, oh, I'll be happy, or oh, you know, whatever it is they're telling themselves. But internally, they still have that negative belief at the core. How do they take that first step to really making the deep changes that are necessary? Oh, this is a really great question because my work, and I'm certain that your work, is just not about positive thinking because um, the way we think and feel, and the, as we were talking earlier, uh, and uh, think and feel and feel and think, it's that cycle, that loop then creates what we call our personalized state of being, our personality. So if a person has had some really rough situations in their past, and those past experiences create certain emotions, and those emotions drive certain thoughts, and those thoughts reaffirm those emotional states, then for the most part, their brain and body are literally living in the past because the body is the unconscious mind 
living by the same emotion, believes it's in the same past experience, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. The body literally is in the past. And if you condition the body to become the mind, then the body actually believes it's physiologically in the past. So we can't create a new future by living in the past. So the person who's going to think positively and start changing their thoughts like I'm thinking positively, it doesn't work because 95% of who we are by the time we're 35 years old is a set of memorized behaviors, emotional reactions, beliefs, perceptions, and attitudes that function like a subconscious computer program. So now the person's going to think positively with the 5% of their conscious mind. Well, for the most part, they've memorized negativity for the last 35 years. That's mind and body in opposition. Or they're going to create their dream board, and they're going to have the pictures of their new car and their new house and their new relationship, but they feel unworthy. Well, they program themselves that way. So mind and body are in the opposition. We have to recondition the body to a new mind. So the process of change then, true transformation and true change, what separates the conscious mind from the subconscious mind is the analytical mind. And the whole purpose of the model that we use in the book about meditation, meditation, its purpose is to get beyond the analytical mind and to drop into those layers where those programs can exist so we can make true change. So the person who's crossing the river of change, the first thing they have to look at is they have to become conscious of their unconscious thoughts. Write them down. List the thoughts that are slipping by your awareness that you believe every day. But they're not true. You just believe them. What behaviors and habits, what do you say out of your mouth that you want to change? Those are um, programs, they're habits. Become conscious of your automatic uh, behaviors and habits. And look at the emotions that you manage every day and live by every day and decide if those emotions actually belong in your future. I think most people, you know, the concept is your personality creates your personal reality. That's it. And your personality is made up of how you think, how you act, and how you feel. So the present personality who's listening created the present personal reality called a life, which means if you want to create a new personal reality, you have to change your personality. You've got to begin to think about what you're thinking about and change it. Begin to notice how you're acting and behaving and alter that. And then begin to look at the emotions that keep you anchored to the past and start creating some elevated emotions. As an example, you know, most people try to create a new personal reality as the same personality and it doesn't work. For example, if you want to be wealthy, a wealthy person would never feel lack, so you can't bring the emotion of lack into your future. A wealthy person doesn't complain about money because they have enough of it. So then you have to begin to change your very thoughts, behaviors, and emotions, and you have to do it enough times that you begin to create a new habit of thought, a new habit of action, and a new elevated emotion. And the new science of neuroplasticity and epigenetics shows that it's absolutely possible to literally change your state of being. Joe, very quickly before we run out of time, a new study showed that irritable bowel syndrome patients were able to dramatically improve their symptoms by taking placebos. But the interesting part is they knew that they were taking the placebo. How is that possible? Well, it's very interesting because suggestibility, our level of suggestion, there's a certain percentage of people that accept suggestions without any analysis. Now, the greater the analytical mind the less suggestibility we have. So a certain percentage of people, even though they know that it's the placebo, are still expecting and hoping with excitement that even though the placebo, it's a placebo, that they're on some level doing something different and it'll work. And that's how powerful the subconscious and the autonomic nervous system is. And, 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 and that's just the beginning because so many people then, once they understand that somebody else has been healed from a therapy or a treatment, or even understand that it is the placebo, those people are hopeful just because they begin to think differently. They begin to act differently. They begin to uh, change their internal chemistry, to change their state of being. And, and that, it, that process, that simple process, we can do on the drive to work. And the point is, is that if, if you know it's the placebo, uh, then in your life, maybe it's important enough or if you, you can change your state of being by thought alone. Then affirmation then that you don't need some substance in order to do it. They accepted it without any substance at all, even knowingly that it wasn't even, uh, 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 it was an inert substance. 
The book is You Are the Placebo, Making Your Mind Matter by Dr. Joe Dispenza. Joe, thank you so much for joining us today to talk about the power of the mind. Most people really don't understand the power that they have within, and this information that you presented is truly life-changing. So I hope that our listeners will take the time to follow up and learn more. If you'd like to learn more about the topic or about Dr. Joe Dispenza, you can visit his website, drjoedispenza.com. That's D-I-S-P-E-N-Z-A.com. Again, Joe, thank you for being here. Oh, I appreciate it, Jen. Thank you. We'll be right back. How much can the right foods do for you? A lot more than weight control. The right foods can increase your energy, improve your outlook, and strengthen your body's natural defenses. What foods can do all that? Primo Health Solutions will show you using metabolic typing. This remarkable program lets your body tell you what it needs to work best. Call them today at 347-903-7030. That's 347-903-7030. Or go to PrimoHealthSolutions.com. Using metabolic typing, Primo Health Solutions will let your body work best. Calm, vitality, mindfulness. We all want them, but they seem so hard to attain. Escape the stress and frenzy of the city streets. New York Open Center offers courses, trainings, and a vibrant community to help you start your journey for a more balanced and healthy life. Visit our website at opencenter.org for more information. Stop by our cafe and bookstore for all your wellness needs. Find your center at 30th and Madison. Hi, this is Joan Herman. Did you know that Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life publishes a free monthly digital magazine that can be read online or emailed to your inbox? Every month, nationally recognized leaders in their field provide information to educate, inspire, and motivate you. We believe in a holistic approach to life, incorporating mind, body, and spirit. Check out a copy of 24-7 Magazine, visit CYACYL.com, and be sure to tell your friends. productive life, but sometimes we just need a little help. Our Coach on Call experts provide strategies to help you live your best life now. Joining me today is Heidi Rome, an autism mom's coach and founder of Mom Spectrum Oasis. Heidi's Autism Hope Mindset System empowers a mom to take back her life while creating a bright future for her Spectrum child. Heidi is here today to discuss how moms can survive and thrive on the autism journey. Welcome, Heidi. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much, Joan. It's a pleasure to be here with you. So Heidi, your son was diagnosed with severe, minimally verbal autism, and you spent years fighting to have his needs met. What have you learned? What are the main pain points on the autism journey? Well, thank you so much for asking that. I feel it's very important for people to be aware that those of us on the autism journey are encountering um, many challenges, but part of that is that there are some significant pain points that make the journey even harder than it needs to be based on the circumstances. So, for example, people don't realize that there's something called diagnosis shock. And what that means is when you get that diagnosis for your child, it's like a ton of bricks has hit you. You've gotten a gunshot wound. Life changes in a moment. Your identity changes in a moment. Because in that moment, the dream of the perfect child, of the whole chain of events that you project, that dream has died. And the future is now different from the trajectory that you had originally planned. The future becomes dangerous. It's unplanned, uncertain. You become fearful of what what is going to happen. What are the implications? So diagnosis shock is a very painful time um, and a phenomenon that happens when someone gets a significant diagnosis such as autism that affects someone for their whole life. The second pain point is social isolation and disappearance of friends and family. People don't realize that, but friends and family, you would assume that they're going to be there for someone when uh, they get an autism diagnosis for their child. But what happens very often is that 
the people that we know who are close to us, they're just as much in shock, they're overwhelmed too, and they don't know what to do. And the bottom line is, it is your child, not their child. So as things evolve, and especially with autism, there are often behavior issues that make it very difficult to be with us. Often you find that the invitations disappear, they dry up, you're not invited to Thanksgiving dinner. Uh, Or if you are invited, you may be told that, well, you can come, but you're going to need to stay in the basement, which may be fine. Uh, But things are different. And that's a very difficult reality. And people don't know that that's going to happen. And I would say that that's one of the more painful things that happens with a diagnosis of, of autism. Related to that is the social stigma of this. It's not just that friends and family disappear, but going out in public, often the strangers around will be judgmental and think that you're just not a good mom and you're not disciplining your child if they exhibit a number of behaviors or they have a meltdown in public. And so that becomes another reason that we tend to isolate and stay away from other people and social settings because we want to avoid that judgment and unpleasantness. Another important pain point is the information and decision overload. With autism comes this huge boatload of issues and decisions that we have to make with regard to our child's well-being and setting them up for the structures in the future that we're creating for them. And there, there is not one central source to find out about all this. It's a very fragmented system. We have the government involved, the school district, healthcare professionals, service providers. There's a whole realm of special needs, legal issues, advocacy, financial planning, private and social agencies. It's, it's crazy. If you Google the word autism and there are over 200 million hits on Google, which is crazy. Um, how do you curate that? How do you move through that? And it's not that this is a, you know, oh, where are we going to have dinner tonight? There's so much time and money and hope at stake, every decision. You're pressured for time because you want to make sure you make a quick and appropriate decision for your kids because you feel like I have to do the right thing, make the right decision. What therapy approach? What are the other methods that I should consider? Should I consider all the alternatives that are out there? Because there are people who exploit desperate parents. So that's another factor in in this whole very dark scenario. And finally, and this is probably going to be a surprise to many people, one of the more significant pain points on the autism journey is something that I call the the tragedy narrative of autism. This is something that is probably invisible to most people, but it has a very significant impact. There are many narratives in life, and we all function, you know, assuming that they're there running in the background. A narrative is when there is a societal agreement and assumption about any issue. So in the case of of autism, there is this societal agreement and assumption that autism, at whatever point a child is on the spectrum, is absolutely awful. It's it's almost like a a death sentence. Um, And in the case of autism, it's not a death sentence, but it is a sentence of lifelong affliction, adversity, and suffering. You know, if you think about the the definition of tragedy, um, you know, catastrophe, disaster, adversity, right? Like, oh my goodness, there's a terrible reaction to that. And that autism is something that has to be tracked down and dealt with and eradicated or suppressed and controlled. I mean, think about it, you know, not only is a person getting this diagnosis for her child, but there's all this added stuff and baggage attached to the word. So that's a very significant pain point. So Heidi, all of what you just described is extremely overwhelming. Can you offer moms strategies that can help them manage these challenges? Absolutely, Joan. The first tip, which is always the first tip, is to breathe. Because a deep breath tells your brain that you are physically safe. And when your brain and body believe that they are physically safe, that you are physically safe, that calms you. And it also activates the other parts of the brain that are responsible for the higher levels of thought and intuition that you want to tap into for your best decision-making and and actions. You don't want to make decisions out of fear and out of that tragedy narrative that, that kicks in. So number one, you breathe. And number two, and again, this is probably a global tip, is that you turn up the spigot on compassion for yourself 
and then for others. Because for yourself, you know, you've been dealt a hard blow. Life has changed. And it's really important to realize that you need to go through a natural process of mourning and adjustment to come through eventually to the other side of acceptance. So really, moms, be forgiving and patient with yourself. Many people have heard about the Kubler-Ross stages of grieving around death and dying, and those are stages like anger, denial, bargaining, and depression, but they may not realize that this process applies to any deep loss, and it's your mind's way of protecting you. It's like getting a scab on a wound. It, it prepares the, the body, the mind, to start to heal and accept that, oh, there's something here that needs attention that I'm going to need to deal with. And the compassion also applies to others. Compassionately manage your expectations of other people. It's easy, and I know I was certainly guilty of this, not guilty, responsible for this, that family and friends often don't know what to say or do, and they disappear. And I became very angry and upset about that because I had expected more. I felt they should be here for me. But don't expect more from people than they're capable of giving. So absolutely linked to this is ask for the help you need, but be more selective. Identify people who you feel get your situation and can assist you in a very specific way. You know, ask specifically for the kind of help you need. Can you watch my child? Can you go food shopping for me? Whatever specific thing you need. And don't take it personally if someone communicates that your child's autism is too much for them to handle. You can have compassion for that. We all have situations in life that are too much for us to, to handle. And we have to just accept that that is the way it is. And finally, expect angels to show up. While the hard news is that people can't handle it and, and disappear, many people, the great news is that angels that you don't expect show up. People that you would never dream would be available to help call you, touch your shoulder and say, how can I help? And be ready to accept that. Know that others are going to reach out to you, that you are not alone, that you feel alone. Well, take yourself out of that and say, wait a second, am I really alone? Or is there truly someone I can reach out to for help, even just to listen? And that's often a, a very big help. Heidi, thank you so much for joining us. If you would like to learn more about this topic or about Heidi and her work, you can visit momsspectrumoasis.com. And as always, to hear more from Heidi, you can visit our website, cyacyl.com slash Heidi. We'll be right back. Do you wonder where other businesses get their ideas from for social media posting? Where do they get those great graphics and colors? And more importantly, how can you do that too? This is Susan McLaughlin from SMC Ventures with a social media simplified tip. Take the free class. There are so many wonderful teachers on Facebook, Instagram, and all over YouTube that you can learn from. Many of these videos and webinars can be replayed at your convenience. These wise social media teachers take you through a topic where you have an interest. For example, how to use your brand colors when you want to post an interesting quote. And they show you how to do it step by step. Yes, they may want to sell you other items from their toolkit. But if you find someone you like and you can learn from them, then taking another paid class with them may make sense. So remember, when in doubt, take the free class. Learning about social media makes your post better and makes your life a lot easier. If you need help with your social media for your business, give us a call. You can visit our website at smcventures.biz or visit us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. This is Susan McLaughlin from SMC Ventures. Social Media Simplified with Sue. Hi, this is Joan Herman. Did you know that Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life publishes a free monthly digital magazine that can be read online or emailed to your inbox? Every month, nationally recognized leaders in their field provide information to educate, inspire, and motivate you. We believe in a holistic approach to life, incorporating mind, body, and spirit. Check out a copy of 24-7 Magazine, visit CYACYL.com, and be sure to tell your friends. 
Less than 2% of America's population volunteers to defend our nation. Though we rarely see them, we live the benefits of these heroes' sacrifices and the freedom we know and the safety we feel. Each and every day, the Gary Sinise Foundation serves our nation by honoring our defenders, veterans, first responders, and their families. We do this by creating and supporting unique programs designed to entertain, educate, inspire, strengthen, and build communities. The Gary Sinise Foundation has grown because the need has never been greater. Together, we'll improve the lives of thousands of American heroes and their families day in, day out, all year long. While we can never do enough to show our gratitude to our nation's defenders, our veterans, our first responders, and the families who stand by them, we can always do a little more. Join us. Visit GarySiniseFoundation.org. This is WNYM, Hackensack, New Jersey, New York City. Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for staying with us. My next guest, Cassandra Galindo, joins us to talk about an organization that is designed to help women who are battling with self-esteem issues. Cassandra is the founder of Walk the Runway. Welcome, Cassandra. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Joan. Thank you for having me. So, Cassandra, the work that you're starting with helping women who are dealing with self-esteem issues, this is a really common story for so many women. So tell us about this new company that you've just founded. So the new company we've started is called Walk the Runway. Um, The idea we're implementing is just a runway where women of all ages, races, and stages in their life walk on the runway in confidence. Um, I know we all have nerves and securities, and we all talk negatively um, about ourselves. So I just wanted a woman to know that we all go through this and that um, there is a community out there. So how did you get started on this work? Why did you make this such a personal journey for you? Me personally, this work is so important to me because I've personally experienced um, transformation. Uh, My mindset has developed to a whole different level. I used to think really small. Um, about two years ago, I started my journey of self-discovery. I lost over 75 pounds, resigned from my nine to five job to pursue my interest in real estate. And I took myself out of really hard relationships. And of course, after working with um, a coach, I was able to just find my purpose and my why. And like the purpose of this journey, I just want to inspire diverse women to come together so that they can break through their insecurities and lead them to a better version of themselves. But um, yeah, this is the purpose of my life um, that I've been called for, for sure. Those are such amazing changes that you made in your life. And I know that that was incredibly difficult to accomplish. So congratulations for all of that. What is the message? If, If you could boil this all down, what is the message that you want to teach? So the message that um, I like to convey to many women and girls out there um, that they're going through any obstacles is to let them know that, again, we're not alone. Seeing something tangible like walk the runway and having women come together will make us more aware. I'm confident that we'll all break through, especially the day of our event. Um, And, you know, we'll be coming out of our comfort zone. We'll be stretching ourselves and we'll be doing it together. And I also want to let women also who are already confident with themselves to show others their way of being and how they reach their securities. Um, That's why we're going to have guest speakers so that they can tell their story. So, Cassandra, I'm older than you are. I'm probably old enough to be your mother. Mm -hmm. And women of my age have these feelings. Women of your age have these feelings. It's such a common story with women. Why do you believe so many of us lack self-esteem? So many, many girls and women, like you said, of different ages, lack self-esteem, in my opinion, because we're constantly comparing ourselves to other women. Um, we also look at what we lack versus our strengths. And sometimes we feel this pressure from our own selves personally that we want to do so much that we don't sometimes end up doing anything. A lot of us put this pressure on ourselves that we end up adding a timeline 
Um, I know I'm guilty of that. You know, I always said, oh, I wanted to get married by 28. I wanted to finish my master's by 25. And, you know, then when we don't reach these goals that we put on ourselves, some of us dig ourselves into this really bad depression that it's really hard to get out of. And if you're not resourceful and if maybe you don't know um, what's out there, like how I didn't know until recently, um, yeah, you just don't know how to get out of it. So that's why I want to teach women and educate them. What's one thing right now, one strategy that you can offer a woman to begin this process? Uh, so a strategy that I would say um, that helped me out a lot as well is just um, I, I felt like reading really helped me and just sharing your your depression, like what you're going through. Because you'll be surprised when you start talking to other women um, they'll start coming out with stories that you, you, you would have never even thought of. Um, I also believe in going to women empowerment events. Um, that's where I met you. And it was just a great, it was a great day. Um, I, I was able to build a lot of relationships. Just put yourself out there. That's, that's what I would say. So tell us about your Walk the Runway event. Um, so Walk the Runway event, we're actually hosting it June 12th, which is a Saturday of next year. Um, we're going to have it in White Eagle Hall in downtown Jersey City. I've had the pleasure of working with Olga, who's the artistic director. Um, we're going to have cater a caterer. We're going to have music. We're going to have speakers. And it's just going to be women talking to each other and just letting them know, like, you know, um, these are some resources that you can that you can read, that you can see, that you can just, you know, go to if you're having a problem or if you want to, you know, educate yourself. So it's just going to be a very educating event about confidence. And again, that's June 12th, 2020, next year, 2020. Cassandra, where yes. can our listeners go to get more information? Um, so we're actually at the moment, we are working on a website. Um, so that's going to be implemented on August 30th. At the moment, um, what we do have right now is uh, if there's any inquiries, if you want to help out or if you want to, you know, just reach out to me for more information, uh, we do have an email called walktherunway2019 at gmail.com. Um, and That's what's the demo. URL for that website? It's walktherunway2019.com. So again, it's Walk the Runway. It'll be held June 12, 2020. Cassandra, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much, Joan. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. It is no secret that many people wait before finally deciding to move on with their lives and commence the divorce process. My name is Robert Epstein, and I'm a partner with the family law firm of Ziegler, Zemsky, and Resnick in Livingston, New Jersey. Whether because of the family and the children, financial reasons, a hope that the marriage can be saved, an overwhelming schedule that leaves no time to act on this decision, or something else, each person has a rationale for why and when they are finally prepared to move forward. A few things that you can consider doing to move forward are, number one, find the right divorce lawyer. Number two, outline your divorce goals. Number three, gather your financial documents. And number four, rely on that support system and professionals to help you get through a difficult time. With these steps in mind, hopefully you will be better prepared when the time is right to make that decision for you. For more information, please contact me at Siegler, Zemsky, and Resnick, 973-533-1100 or robert at zzrlaw.com. Hello, doctor. Hi, business owner. Hey there, freelancer. Timing in life is everything. Famed psychologist Dr. Dennis Waitley explains that timing is seen as something over which the individual has a degree of control. That is certainly true in our lives and in our businesses. Business success is certainly affected by timing. Healthcare is totally about timing. Most folks agree that the key to a great treatment is usually early detection and intervention. This is exceedingly true in regard to accounts receivable issues in your business or your practice. This is Vito Mazza, your cash flow specialist with Kinem.com. For financial help, a business needs to have a systematic approach that will enhance cash flow and profitability by speeding up slow-paying insurance companies and vendors and collecting from clients and patients less expensively and more effectively. 
The real secret is for you, the owner, to adopt an early diplomatic intervention system. This will help you collect the money owed without damaging patient or customer relationships and help medical practices get their insurance claims paid a good bit faster. I'm licensed, bonded, insured, HIPAA compliant, and I can help. Please visit Kinnam.com forward slash Vito dash Mazza or call 800-850-5110. Hi, this is Joan Herman. Did you know that Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life publishes a free monthly digital magazine that can be read online or emailed to your inbox? Every month, nationally recognized leaders in their field provide information to educate, inspire, and motivate you. We believe in a holistic approach to life, incorporating mind, body, and spirit. Check out a copy of 24-7 Magazine, visit CYACYL.com, and be sure to tell your friends. Today to talk about the importance of having a positive body image is Eileen Lashinsky, a licensed clinical social worker and creator of Find Body Freedom. Eileen is an advisor for nothing but advice. Welcome, Eileen. Thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me, Joan. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, Eileen, this is such an important topic because many women feel trapped in a body that they have and, and they don't like how they look, and they struggle with body image. And then when that happens, we, we go on these crazy diets, we have cosmetic surgery, and we do all kinds of things in an attempt to feel beautiful. Why do you believe so many women attach value and love to how they look? I think it's a wonderful question, Joan, and it's simple and yet very complex. So I will start with today, and this is more the simple answer uh, in that we are bombarded with media messages and social media that shows particular images of women that are um, photoshopped or airbrushed. They look perfect and we are not, and we are caught in that struggle. Uh, But I'm also going to give you an historical perspective as well, which basically says that we women have been doing this for centuries. So this is nothing new. Um, Egyptian women cold their eyes and uh, colored their lips and hennaed their hair. And in the late uh, 18th century, uh, there were advertisements for bustiers and um, bustles. Uh, in order to enhance women's uh, bosoms and derrieres. And of course, today we have, as you mentioned, uh, diet and exercise programs that are excruciating and um, lots of body reshaping uh, surgery. So this has been going on for a long time and primarily historically because women were considered property of men in order to still feel like a valuable commodity women had to keep themselves valuable, um, attractive, and to produce children. So I've summed up hundreds and hundreds of years into a couple of minutes. How can we learn to change this internal narrative? Uh, Another wonderful question, and actually I just did about a month ago uh, a Facebook Live um, around this topic. And uh, I'm going to uh, firstly say that for me, because I experienced all of this for the first half of my life, uh, for me, it was accepting the reality, my reality, that no matter what I did, I couldn't stay as thin as I wanted to be. So um, I was presented with all of this information that everything I tried was not working. So acceptance of my body was uh, the first step. And for me, a second step was the focus on health and well-being rather than weight loss and body reshaping. And when I did that, whether it was about healthy eating or regular exercising, it turned my mind. Um, It, uh, you know, you say, um, change your attitude, change your life. Well, that's exactly what I did. I changed my attitude. And I ask all of us women to stop the external narrative of making comments to other women about their bodies, even if we think we're complimenting them 
and um, also to stop what I call women speak, which is, and you can hear it with groups of women. I hear it at my gym. I hear it when we go out for lunch, um, talking negatively to ourselves about our bodies or to other women. It's part of just what we do. It's part of the women's club. And also to for us to be able to focus on function rather than form. We are not just ornaments. We are not just forms out there in the world. We need to applaud ourselves for all of the important things we do every day that have nothing to do with the size and shape of our bodies. When I hear myself, and I started this many, many years ago, when I would hear myself saying something negative about myself, particularly about my body, I developed a routine, and this is something actually that I hear from a lot of cognitive behavioral therapists. I would say to myself, stop it, Eileen. And then I would apologize. I'm sorry I was just so negative about uh, you, Belly. Um, and then uh, I would apologize and say, I'm sorry. And then I would turn that negative statement, uh, that harsh and cruel statement, into something neutral uh, and hopefully something uh, positive. Another thing we can do to change the narrative is to eat healthy and nutritious foods and, and move our bodies regularly. So, Eileen, you said that this has been going on for hundreds of years. So yes. how do we break the cycle? What should we be teaching our children? Well, I, I think you're, you're uh, again, wonderful questions, uh, Joan. We have a problem. Uh, even as we women gain more and more power in the world, we are still trapped in the fantasy of body beautiful. 97% of women have negative thoughts and feelings about their bodies. 81% of 10-year-old girls are afraid of getting fat. And over 10 million women of all ages have life-threatening eating disorders. So how do we do this? We can't wait for the diet and exercise and fashion and beauty products industries to change. We have to do it. We have to be the change. And we have to pass positive messages on to our daughters and our sons, who are also embroiled in many of them in struggles with eating disorders and size and weight battles. Um, but see, here's the thing. Our children are intuitive sponges. No matter what we say, if we're not speaking and acting authentically, they're not going to believe us. So we really need to do our own internal work on changing uh, the narrative. And one of the things is to, uh, for us, each of us women, to adopt the belief that beauty comes in all shapes and sizes. And all we have to do is look around at the natural world for our inspiration. Um, so we can do that. Uh, we can also put on our rose-colored glasses, meaning learning to look at ourselves with gentle and loving eyes. And um, we can stop talking negatively about our bodies and stop talking negatively about our bodies uh, to ourselves, yes, but also in front of our daughters in particular. I can't tell you how many times I heard from uh, my adolescent clients how they heard these subtle and not so subtle messages from their mothers and how saddened that made them and how questioning of the truth of their mother's statement when their mother said to them, you are beautiful. And we also, as women, can stop making comments to our daughters about the amount of food that they're eating. We can invite them to make a healthy meal or to go for mother and daughter walks. And if we make mistakes, if we catch ourselves placed in the mirror as we're looking at our bodies or we're saying something negatively about ourselves, about our bodies, we can own that mistake. We can call ourselves out and have a conversation with our daughters about that. Um, and we can talk to them about the negatives of dieting and the preponderance of altered media messages because of Photoshop and airbrushing. And just a brief story here, if I might, 
a few years ago, I was having a mammogram done, and my mammographer uh, used to read articles that I wrote for a monthly um, women's magazine. And uh, she's got my breast, of course, in the pancake mammogram machine, but she's telling me about her daughter who said to her, I'm fat, and she was appalled by this. She was heartbroken by this, and she said to um, her daughter, what makes you say that? And her daughter pointed to some social media things, uh, posts, and also to some um, images in magazines. And her mother took her on a journey of learning about Photoshop and airbrushing. And at the end of the lesson, so to speak, the daughter looks at her mother and says, oh, they're fake. I don't want to be like them. And it was such a wonderful teaching piece and such a wonderful way that mothers and daughters can collaborate on how to learn to love the body you're in, to love the body that you have. Aline, thank you so much for joining us. If you would like to learn more about Nothing But Advice, or if you want to hear more conversations about mental health issues, you can visit our website, cyacyl.com slash nothingbutadvice. It's pretty amazing when you consider that seven years ago, we didn't have the treatments we have now. We cure 80% of children with cancer. Go back 50 years, we were curing 20 to 30%. This is the miracle story of modern medicine. We understand what makes this cancer tick. And of course, without donors from around the world, this just couldn't happen. There's one thing we're focused on, and that's beating this thing. St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. Finding cures, saving children. Learn more at stjude.org. That's it for today's show. Thank you for joining us. I hope you found the show informative. At Conversations with Joan, we believe that knowledge is power. Take what you've learned, apply it, and live your best life now. Remember that the information provided are the opinions of our guests and should never replace the advice of a professional who knows your personal situation. If you'd like more information, visit our website, cyacyl.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on the site, listen to past shows on demand, read our digital magazine, take part in the book club, check out our team, and be sure to follow the show on social media. Until next time, this is Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. The preceding pre-recorded program sponsored by Maximilian Communications, LLC. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.